Welcome to the Evolved Athlete Podcast, where the best in the business bring you the best in fitness, nutrition, wellness, and overall, making you the best athlete of all time. We're host Coach P and his fellow coaches, Kayla, Destiny, Jen, and Ian, take you on a path to greatness. Let's get on with our guest and let's have a great time. Let's roll. Welcome back to the Optimal Human Podcast. I hope everyone is having a great, great start to their weekend so far. Everyone's had a great week as they've been adjusting back into school. Parents are taking their kids back to class. They're getting back in extracurriculars and fall sports are right around the corner. But with that as well, there's a lot of people who are looking to shed off some of those pounds that they gain from that summer fun fest. But with all that being said, the biggest questions that I usually get around this time of year, as everyone tries to shed that buildup of summer pounds, is what supplements are the best to help me get started in my fitness journey? This is one of those awesome questions, and this is something I go back and forth with colleagues and in the university and in my fellow fitness coaches as well about which supplements are the best for what things. There is a long, giant list of supplements that we could discuss that are great for all certain types of health-related issues or performance enhancers. But at the end of the day, there's only a good handful that might actually be beneficial in giving us any sort of benefit that's worthy of our time and our money. And further with that, there might be certain circumstances where it's good to use certain ones over others. I'll be sure to mention at what times those are for the list that we have here today. But these are going to be the biggest, biggest, most utilize supplements that I see in the fitness industry when I'm going to campus rec, when I see my students using and what my athletes are curious about. And so I'm going to go a little bit into the side behind each one of them today. Talk about how they work in the human body, talk about their claimed effects, talk about whether or not those effects are actually significant, and then go over whether or not it is absolutely worth the money. So let's dive right into the most commonly asked questions on supplements. And first, we're going to start with creatine monohydrate. I get questions about creatine all the time. And this is one of the most widely utilized supplements on the fitness market. It is also one of the supplements that has been widely studied over and over and over throughout the research. And the great things about creatine though, is that this is probably one supplement that works. It has been shown to work over and over again across the literature in multiple populations and multiple age groups, and has been shown to actually have positive benefits in the body that makes it efficacious and effective and makes it worth your money. And so first, let's start with the science behind creatine monohydrate. And this is something that I love to talk about in class to demonstrate what creatine actually does. When you ask someone what creatine does, they usually think, oh my gosh, it brings water into my muscles and it bloats me and it, I hold a little bit of water with it, oh my gosh. Um, but really, that's, yes, it's what it does, sort of, but that is not its primary action. Creatine is naturally produced in the liver, kidneys, and pancreas in the body and stored in muscle tissue. It is utilized by all muscle tissues throughout the body. And when it is synthesized, it is transported to muscle tissues and converted to phosphocreatine, which serves as a reserve for our ATP, which is our body's primary energy molecule. So the way that creatine works, when you take creatine supplements, you are oversaturating your muscle cells with creatine phosphate. And so when you study exercise physiology and you learn all about the energy systems, you will learn that the first energy system is the ATP phosphocreatine system. This is the energy system that gives you ATP for up to 10 seconds of high intensity, explosive, hard 
work. And so you can apply this to when you're doing sprints, when you're doing weightlifting exercises, when you're doing anything that's explosive and powerful and you run out of this energy system relatively quickly. This is why sometimes you'll see weightlifters who are focusing on building strength and power will actually wait longer rest periods in between each set because it takes upwards of three minutes or more to fully restitute and fully recover that energy system so that you can be able to push yourself as hard as you possibly can again. Now, what supplements do when it comes to taking creatine is that when it oversaturates your muscle cells or creatine phosphate, it gives you more substrate to use to accelerate the rate at which you're recycling ATP. So in English, what that means is when you are lifting weight, right, or you're going on a sprint, you are literally breaking those bonds of ATP, okay? So you're breaking the bonds of adenosine triphosphate. That adenosine triphosphate becomes adenosine diphosphate. And what ends up happening is, is creatine phosphate that's hanging out in the cell has a spare phosphate that it gives and donates to adenosine diphosphate. And as a result, adenosine diphosphate turns right back into ATP again and recycles into ATP so it can continue to be utilized for energy. So having creatine in your muscle cells in higher amounts allows you to recycle ATP faster. So what are the practicality of this? What is the effectiveness of what it sees in the scientific literature and what you see in the gym is that it supports creatine's ability to not only increase your muscle fossil creatine stores, but it also enhances your performance, enhances your aerobic capacity, your anaerobic capacity. It allows you to be beneficial for more requiring short bursts of energy and weightlifting and sprinting. It allows you to push a little bit harder. It allows you to get an extra rep. It allows you to recover faster in between sets. And when you can do all of those things, you are able to do more work overall. And that's going to be the most significant positive benefit from creatine. If you can put more work into the gym, you can cause more muscle damage. You can ultimately get more gains. But even more than that, they're starting to find in many populations that creatine is not only good for muscle mass, but it is also great for other aspects of the human body, in particular cognition with older adults. And that they're finding is very, very beneficial for improving various aspects of cognitive function. And it's super, super beneficial as well for helping muscle tissue pull in more nutrients through cell volumization. With that being said as well, they've also found that creatine is also vital through various stages of cell division and mitosis. And so they've actually seen that creatine supplementation can actually be beneficial for pregnant women during the development of the fetus. It can be very, very beneficial for developing a healthy baby. And so creatine is starting to gain tons and tons of attention as far as how it can be beneficial for almost every single population. Now, how can we take creatine? What is the absolute best way to do this? There are multiple ways in which you can take creatine supplements. The first, and this is the most classic way to achieve muscle saturation, is to do a loading phase of upwards of 20 to 25 grams per day for five days. And so you would take equally equal dosages of five, do, of five grams equally throughout the day, making sure that you are adequately hydrated. And then once you complete this for five days, then you do a maintenance period of only five grams per day thereafter for as long as you wish to take it to upkeep your stores of muscle creatine. And so this has been found to be the fastest way to saturate your muscle cells. But what we also see in the literature is as long as you are taking creatine, five grams a day seems to do the trick for most people to where eventually within 15 to 30 days, you will fully saturate your muscle cells depending on your body size. We see now from most individuals, if you are a larger individual above the 185 or so, 
uh, that you can benefit from a little bit more than that. But where's the potentially seven grams uh, per day? If you're someone who's over 200 pounds or so, you can actually benefit from upwards of 10 grams per day. I would just recommend that you, if you're one of those individuals, to making sure that you divide it into two dosages. Um, because sometimes, if not properly hydrated or you have the wrong type of form, it could potentially cause diuretic-related issues. So be very, very careful. No, creatine is not a diuretic. Do not confuse that. But that is just a nice way of saying sometimes when you take in certain substances like that and are properly hydrated, there's a higher likelihood that you could yikes it all out into the bathroom. So do yourself a favor. Spread it out as best as you can. I usually recommend the absolute best times to take creatine are either first thing in the morning with a meal or post-workout because post-workout is usually the most opportune time to take in nutrients and the body is more likely to absorb nutrients at that time. So that tends to be the absolute best time to do so for most people, especially when paired with carbohydrate that allows you to have a great insulin response and help shuttle nutrients into muscle cells. And so now as far as the type of creatine to purchase. The only creatine ingredient that I recommend to all people is creatine monohydrate. You will see many different types of creatine on the market for marketing purposes that'll claim that they absorb better into the body, such as creatine hydrochloride, there's uh, is a version. Uh, there's a lot of crazy versions out there. The only one that has been researched and proven to actually be effective in its dosages is creatine monohydrate. It is very worth the money. It is relatively cheap. You can buy it almost anywhere from GNC or from Amazon.com. Doesn't oftentimes matter the actual brand. There's everything from Thorn to bulk supplements to GNC's brand. There's a ton of different brands of creatine monohydrate. Buy the one that's the absolute best and easiest for you to afford. And most oftentimes, they are all the exact same thing. As long as the only ingredient on that label is creatine monohydrate, you're usually good to go. So creatine, definitely my number one choice and my number one highly recommended supplements for overall fitness performance. Let's dive into the next one. And the next one is one that is often combined with creatine and it has even been found to have synergistic effects with creatine when taken together called beta alanine. And beta alanine got a lot of attention back when I first started my PhD years ago around 20, 2015. Um, 2015, <laughs> 2015. It's been one of those weeks, you all. Uh, we'll explain later when I talk about another supplement. And beta alanine is a supplement that combines with histidine, which is an additional amino acid, to produce carnosine. And carnosine acts as a buffer in the blood that neutralizes the buildup of acidic ions that are produced as a byproduct of metabolism during high intensity exercise. And as a result, if you have more carnosine to act as that buffer, you can actually delay the onset of muscle fatigue, which can be really, really beneficial for those individuals who are engaging in high levels of anaerobic activity. So if you're individuals who are into CrossFit or high rock races or longer intensity anaerobic exercise, athletes who are playing in long uh, competition games like soccer, basketball, um, you know, football sometimes maybe can be better, can benefit from, uh, from beta alanine. And you can really benefit from this type of supplement. Now, the claim, the other effects that come with this, and this is what people think is the main purpose of beta alanine, which is not, is the tingling sensation that you feel after consumption. This is known as paresthesia. This is harmless and typically subsides and continued use or by taking smaller doses more frequently. But no, this is not the overall purpose of taking beta-alanine, okay? Um, and so, but a lot of people will take it for that reason. 
The issue with beta alanine is this. Yes, it can be effective for individuals who are doing mid-range and north defense. Um, however, it does not provide much benefit for things that are very, very short or very, very long duration of activity because it does not uh, it, there's not as much of the buildup of those ions that occur develop higher levels of acidity in short exercise or in very, very long, in long, long endurance exercise due to the nature of the metabolic pathways that we have in the human body. And so further than that, when it comes to beta alanine, that you will not see a buildup of the amount of carnosine that you need to see an actual effective benefit until you've taken it consistently for 30 days. And so this is where it can be a big, big problem, right? Because if you're taking it from a pre-workout, and the pre-workout supplement might only have a little dosage of it in there. And you would literally have to start taking the pre-workout and keep taking the pre-workout for upwards of 30 days before you actually got the real scientific benefit of utilizing beta alanine. That's the biggest problem with that. And that's why most people think that taking beta alanine is simply to feel the rough on the skin, which is this parathesa. But really, the actual benefit of beta alanine will not start to set in until you've taken it for upwards of 30 days or so. And so that's where it becomes a little bit of a pain in the head. And it might not actually be worth your money unless you're taking it consistently for 30 days and then continue to take it thereafter for a longer period of time. And that's where most people actually just straight up buy it by itself instead of getting the pre-workout just for beta alanine purposes. So be very, very you know cognizant of this. When you buy supplements sometimes, you have to do your research. You have to learn about you know what are the effective dosages or how long you're going to take it before you see benefits because all of these can have a big big effect on whether or not it is worth your time and whether or not it is worth your money so if you're an individual who is an anaerobic athlete you know a crossfitter you know someone who's doing those mid-endurance events a spartan race beta alanine can be awesome all right um but if you're just a normal weightlifter um if you're just someone or you're a long long distance endurance runner or or activity I, I would not recommend beta alanine for your time, um, especially because it's expensive um, and it accumulates really, really quick. And you need at least five grams for it to be of certain benefits. And most doses doses that you see in most supplements, especially for your workouts, are little to none um, and don't even come close to two and a half grams. So be very, very careful. You need to let it accumulate over time and take it consistently daily and order it for it to be beneficial. And it's best taken post-workout. So. That's my information on beta alanine. Let's now dive into the one that everybody takes on a consistent basis. Whether you think it's a supplement or not, you're taking it in some form or fashion. Whether it's in a cup of joe or a dry powder shot when you go to the gym, it's caffeine. And caffeine is one of the most widely used drugs, I should say, in the entire world. Everyone knows what caffeine does. Caffeine specifically... You got the wall, it makes you crazy. No, that's not what caffeine does. <laughs> yes, caffeine increases your heart rate. That being, you know, stimulates the release of norepinephrine. But really, caffeine blocks the adenosine receptors in the brain. And so when it comes to the processes of sleep, we actually see that one of the signals, besides the building of sleep pressure and the overall uh, force of your circadian rhythms throughout the day, that the buildup of the adenosine neurotransmitter in the brain actually promotes sleep and relaxation. 
However, when you consume caffeine, the molecules from caffeine will actually bind to these adenosine receptors and slow the rate at which the, the adenosine will bind to the receptors responsible for sending the signal to build up that sleep pressure to promote sleep and relaxation. And so, and as a result, you feel a stimulant-like effect, which will raise your heart rate, release norepinephrine and other stimulatory hormones, and will make you go faster. Now, <laughs> not in the terms of you're going to go run fast like speed equals dollars, but you will have the sensation that you are moving quicker, that you are more awake. However, what we need to realize about caffeine is it is not actually providing us energy. It is just giving us a stimulant type effect in the body. And so that is something really, really important to consider. And when you're taking caffeine and how much caffeine you're taking. And the majority of the research that we know 300 milligrams is the dose to see positive benefits for physical activity, where we see things such as increased muscle contractility, increased focus, and all the other claimed effects that most people enjoy when it comes to caffeine. Getting that rush, feeling the dopamine response, you know, feeling a little extra motivation. We do know that the, uh, the regular intake of caffeine does allow us to upregulate our dopamine receptors. It can actually help with dopamine. However, when it comes to that, we have to be very, very careful because individuals can become habituated to caffeine usage very, very quickly, usually within at least two weeks of consistent consumption. And it gets to the point where people will need more and more and more to get the same desired effect. And so you can start off by, let's say the first time you had caffeine was probably the best time you ever felt it to where it literally made you go off your wire, right? And so, but as you consistently continue to drink it, Caffeine just doesn't feel like it's anymore. Uh, and so that can be a big like, problem for people who do not track the amount of milligrams that they're consuming. And for most people, they should not go over 300 milligrams per day. That is my biggest recommendation when it comes to the dosage. There is a gram, there is a milligram per, kilo, per kilogram recommendation, but for most people, that ends up being no more than 300 milligrams a day. And so and what you'll see is the average cup of coffee depending on how much you're getting when you go off to Starbucks or your favorite coffee boutique is anywhere from 75 to 150 gram milligrams of caffeine, depending upon what the source is, the cut of the bean, whether or not it's espresso, how many shots of espresso you got, what size of the cup that you bought from Starbucks is. And so you have to be really, really careful because you can get up to that amount really, really fast. And although Caffeine can enhance cognitive function and mood and improve your endurance and, and reduce, uh, reduce perceived exertion and improving power and strength of some individuals. You can develop a big tolerance and require doses to achieve the same effect. Take it into account as well. If you're someone who is highly, highly stressed individual and you're going through a lot at that point in time, if you have a very, very low heart rate variability and you're consistently in a sympathetic state a lot of the times and you struggle with things like anxiety and depression, overthinking, then that's actually like putting gasoline on a fire. And we see that caffeine will actually have a negative impact on those individuals and make those symptoms worse. And sometimes when you are someone who is more consistently stressed out or at a period or season of life where you are over the top in stress, then utilizing caffeine is actually recommended not to do so. And so, and you know, I've encountered many times with this in my life where I have been in certain seasons where I have been overly stressed to the point of no return. I am, you know, pretty close to going through something like that right now. Um, and so, you know, just being with everything that's going on currently in my schedule. Um, so just a normal part of life. 
Um, but those are usually the times where you have to do an audit with yourself and back off from the utilization of caffeine because not only can you compromise your nervous system and the, the risk that stress has of wreaking on your body, but it also negatively impacts your sleep, which will only further enhance, will not enhance, will further exacerbate the symptoms and the effects that stress will have on the body. So we need to be really, really mindful of how we're using caffeine, making sure we're utilizing it under control. From a dopamine standpoint, this is where this is going to come from a motivation thing as well. We got to be careful because a lot of people have their habit of fitness tied to the absolutely necessity of needing caffeine to go work out, which can be a problem because if you have to have that source of external motivation to be able to get you into the gym, yes, it's great to get you started that way. It's fun to use a pre-workout. You know, I use pre-workouts like the best of them, but when it comes to the utilization of caffeine, you'll no longer get that same rough anymore when you're going to the gym. And when you continue to, you know, Dr. Andrew Gibberman talks about this on his podcast, when you layer constant source of dopamine on top of one another, whether it's caffeine or music, and then being in the same environment around certain people, and you have all these sources of that you're stacking on top of one another, it becomes very, very difficult to simply, simply get enjoyment out of the activity itself, in this case, the strength training. And so Dr. Andrew Gibberman will actually recommend you know, every so often, you know, trying to work out or going to engage in activities without utilizing caffeine so that you can help restore the baseline level of how you experience reward and motivation. And that's a big problem in our, in our society right now with individuals constantly needing that source of, of dopamine to, to help them feel good, feel alive and to get the reward. And unfortunately, that makes it so that they do not have a sense of delayed gratification, which can cause issues in the development of an individual, particularly younger adults, which can be a big, big problem for adults who are trying to, you know, be consistent and being productive in their careers, to being productive in school, or to even be able to be successful overall. It becomes very, very important to realize these things quickly. And so Sources of dopamine can be very, very important to keep in mind, especially as we're going to the gym. And so I know I kind of got off a little bit on tangent on there as it relates to caffeine, but it also, you know, related to utilizing caffeine from a performance perspective, all right? You might continue to get some benefits from caffeine if you use it habitually, but never as much as if you take a break from it and only utilize it on the days where you absolutely need it, which will increase its effectiveness. So I highly, highly recommend to most people try to take some time off from caffeine every now and then, give your body a break to reduce its tolerance back down to normal. Usually it only takes about a week or two for most people to fully reset themselves from the tolerance of caffeine. Those are individuals who usually metabolize it very, very well and very, very quickly. It's the slow math metabolizers of caffeine where it's a little bit of different, where when they come off caffeine, it's like the night of the living dead and absolute hell. And they feel like the world's coming to an end because they get, they get the they get the constriction headaches because when you take away caffeine from individuals like that and metabolize it poorly, um, their sources, their issues with withdrawal are due to the fact that they're actually going through muscular constriction, going through constriction of the blood vessels. And that's been found to actually cause headache and even migraine in individuals. So, you know, be very, very careful when using caffeine. And if you are going to come down off of it and you know you're one of those people who gets triggered very, very easily when you come off of it, to do it slowly or else the ramifications and the withdrawal symptoms will be that much more exaggerated. And so caffeine is very, very cheap. You can buy caffeine by itself, or of course you can get it from all the great substances that are offered out there, whether it's a nice caffeinated beverage, whether it's the coffee from the coffee shop, or whether it's from a pre-workout. But just make sure you do your research when it comes to most pre-workouts, because most pre-workouts do not claim to have the actual effective dosages that they need of anything in there. And oftentimes, more or less, it's just a whole bunch of caffeine. So be very, very careful. As far as how to use caffeine properly for the purpose of actual performance benefits when going to the gym, 
you want to typically consume in at least 30 to 60 minutes before exercise. Just be aware that it has a half-life of approximately six hours. So it is best to not take it after noon or one o'clock each and every day so that it'll most likely be cleared by the time you'll be able to fall asleep. But even then, be very careful because of the half-life, that means half, it'll still be in the bloodstream past 10 p.m. and still could potentially negatively impact your sleep. Now, since we're on the topic of stress, we should go into one of the supplements that has been found to be very, very helpful for stressed out individuals such as myself and so many others. And that is one of my favorite ones to talk about called ashwagandha. And there are a lot of studies looking at ashwagandha to show its benefits on its improvements in the relaxation of the nervous system, the improvements in the regulation of cortisol. It is a adaptogen, which means it doesn't necessarily tackle the issue directly, but it can help normalize your body back down to homeostasis through proper modulation of the stress's response of the nervous system. And so, and this works by enhancing the GABAergic activity, and that can thus also promote relaxation. So ashwagandha has been found to be one of those miracle drugs for a lot of individuals out there. Um, and so and as, I actually have taken ashwagandha numerous times throughout my career during times where I was at a natural higher level of stress. And so that usually comes at times when, you know, I have either a big presentation or I have a lot going on uh, with the university or, you know, like a dissertation defense, you know, all these types of things take me back to Um And so utilizing adaptogens can be very, very helpful for people who are chronically stressed. And one of the biggest issues that I see today is so many people are good at coping with their stress that they don't even know that stress is actually wreaking havoc on their health. Um, and you can see this from manifestations in certain endocrine hormone levels when you get blood work done. So you can see this in things such as DHEA and cortisol. DHEA is one of the primary precursors we need to make sexual hormones. And it is also one of the most important things for stress. And when you are super, super low on DHEA due to the effects of cortisol at being so high and stress, that is a big, big problem. Um, and so oftentimes what we need to do is independent of taking supplements, you need to get your lifestyle in order, uh, which will include not only getting restful sleep, but making sure that you guys are doing the things you need to do to get your health on track, which is better food choices, significantly trying to lower inflammation, make sure your immune system is on track, you know, doing the right amount of physical activity because most, there are some people who do too much, um, that can also cause stress on the body as well. And so utilizing adaptogens can be very, very helpful and have been highly utilized in Ayurvedic medicine um, from a range of ailments from arthritis to insomnia. We even see some studies that show that utilizing ashwagandha can be very, very impactful for overall aerobic capacity and, and improvements in the cardiovascular system. And so there's there's a whole bunch of studies that show you know numerous types of claims when it comes to overall fitness, muscle mass, strength, body fat, testosterone, and all these other things. Um, but we know that the most primary benefit we do see is its improvements in mental health via its impact on the gabapentergic activity pathways that promote relaxation of the body and help regulate cortisol. That is probably the absolute best impact it has, which can definitely be a worthwhile investment. And so the issue, however, becomes if you're getting the right type of ashwagandha and the length of time that you're taking it, because it actually should be cycled. You know, I talk about this with, you know, my, my fellow colleague at Evolve here, John, uh, John Dobbs talks about this as well, how you have to cycle adaptogens um, for them to have the most benefit in the human body, just to allow the body to do its thing more naturally. And so very, very similar um, uh, aspects of su supplements do very, very similar things. A specific rhodiola rosea has been found to be very significant here. 
Um, Rodeo Rosea is another adaptogen, but Rodeo Rosea functions in a different way to where it has a more of a direct impact on dopamine and serotonin, um, which can actually be very, very impactful for not only improving your mood, but also cognitive function. And so just like ashwagandha, you know, the claimed effects of Rodeo Rosea, Rosea can be used to combat fatigue and enhance your physical and overall mental performance and reduce fatigue. And so, you know, a lot of individuals go back and forth on which one they prefer when in fact, it's good to cycle both out. You know, if you've been using ashwagandha for two months or so, you know, take a break from it, go off it for 30 days, and then take rhodiola rosea. Or you can cycle each one back and forth, 30 days on, 30 days off, if you want to get the absolute best ones. Uh, when it comes to rhodiola rosea, um, you can get the any rhodiola rosea extract um, that is of high quality. You know, Thorn Supplements has a great version of it. And then as for ashwagandha, Thorn has trigonda, which has multiple different types in there. But as long as you see KSM 66 uh, with analytes, it was in the supplement label. When it comes to buying ashwagandha, you know you've got the right stuff. Sometimes you kind of worry when it comes to just buying straight the extract or the bark of, from the ashwagandha plant itself. That might not have nearly to the degree and, and significance that of the actual extract that you need and might not be as potent in its effect. So please make sure that you are utilizing the correct form of ashwagandha. Look for the KSM 66. Now, how about intro workout carbohydrates? This has actually become a really, really popular supplement lately um, as I am actually um, acquaintances and new mentor in high Dane Barber, who is actually you know, a really, really profound nutrition expert who's making his way up in the world um, he, he's an awesome individual. He's a co-owner at Rapid Health Optimization. He was the, he's the nutrition coach for Sean O'Malley, who just won the UFC title fight for the bantamweight division. Absolutely, absolutely awesome, awesome individual. He's a primary host of the Barbell Shrug podcast. You know, if you're looking for great information, go learn from Dan. He's an absolute badass. I'm an absolutely everything. I look up to this guy. I'll learn a lot from him uh, all the time. You know, it's a real pleasure to, to be mentored by him in ways. Um, and so he actually talks a lot about intra-workout carbohydrate. And he is actually the scientific officer for a company called Vitargo. Um, and Vitargo, it makes one of the best known brands today of intra-workout carbohydrates because they have found a way to reduce the osmolarity down so low of this particular type of carbohydrate that when you digest it, it goes right into the bloodstream. It does not cause any bloating at all. When it comes to athletes' GI distress issues, this is a big problem when it comes to performance. And this is actually one of the only intra-workout carbohydrate supplements that you can get that does not cause that issue. It can be really, really significant. And so what the importance of intra-workout carbohydrates is, is that it, it provides a rapid source of glucose that will not only spike insulin levels, but will help drive glucose into muscle cells that can delay fatigue and enhance muscular recovery. And so, and with that being said, utilizing carbohydrate like that, that is instantly absorbed is great for that insulin response to also drive in nutrients such as electrolytes and amino acids that can be really, really important, not only for pre, intra and post workout, but also can overall help your overall recovery and helping nutrients get to where they need to be for you to get those gains. And so now when is the best time to use these? Well, if you're an individual who is working out less than an hour, then you're probably not going to need intra-workout carbohydrates. Now, this can definitely be utilized for pre-workout carbohydrates. That would be absolutely fine. Even more so for post-workout carbohydrates. Utilizing carbohydrate substances can be important. But what you have to think about first is whether or not you have the allotments or those carbohydrates in your programming. If you're someone whose pro, uh, primary goal is to lose weight, and you are trying to make sure that your calories are low, then you might want to save your calories to carbohydrates for actual food to get actual micronutrient status. 
which is much more important. You want to focus on your whole foods. You want to focus on things like oatmeal and 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 uh, things like quinoa, barley. You know, whole food sources that's going to get the majority of your nutrients from fruits, veggies, those types of things. Um, and so sometimes using carbohydrate sources like this in the supplement form might not be the absolute best thing for you. But if you're an athlete who's, you know, trying to get carbohydrates in and really needs to help improve the performance because you're working out for long periods of time, upwards of an hour or more, multiple times a day, then using things like intra-workout carbohydrate drinks can be absolutely beneficial for getting the most out of your performance when it comes to exercise. And so my absolute favorite is Vitargo for sure. Uh, due to its performance benefits, every time I use it, I feel a significant impact and it really, really is helpful. And the best way to use it is either sipping it on my way into my workout or even utilizing it as post-workout carbohydrates if I have the extra carbohydrates within my macro allotments for that day. All right. Let's jump into the next one. And the next one is one that I'm actually going to play down hard on, and that is green supplements. And so there's a lot of individuals who are, you know, boasted about green supplements and how they can help them with getting certain things into the body, um, especially when they lack those aspects in the body. Now, green supplements are good if you're someone who is micronutrient deficient and you have a high quality green supplement that can help fill in a lot of those gaps, and that's fine. Um, those are a lot of the marketing claims you will see on those supplements, and those can be beneficial in that way. However, at the end of the day, you still will get the most from whole foods, and they will never replace whole foods. Because one of the biggest issues is although these supplements provide a lot of things such as vitamins, minerals, and antioxidants, you never know what the actual bioavailability is going to be at that time. How, when was it that this process was, uh, this product was produced? How long has it been on the shelf? You know, what has been the decay time of those nutrients? You know, particular antioxidants you have to be careful on because if they're exposed to air for too long, they'll be neutralized by the oxygen and therefore not have any effectiveness to taking them. And so, and another thing when the process of supplements are, there's a lot of toxic heavy metals sometimes that can build up in supplements. And so you'll be getting those as well that you most likely would not be getting from their whole food counterparts. And so you have to weigh out the checks and balances. If you're someone that has a hard time getting in all your whole foods, then maybe a green supplement could potentially help you. But if you are, if you're really good about getting your whole foods in, or you are trying to change your lifestyle for good and prioritize that whole food consumption, then then you might not be so bad. Then you might not need green supplements because the biggest problem with them is they're so expensive. You know, the best ones, you have to be careful of the cheap ones because they're cheaply made and the ingredients are not to par and have very low bioavailability. But the absolute best ones that you see on the market by Thorn and by, uh, oh my gosh, by op, like Opti Greens from, uh, I don't even really like that one. Um, that's from uh, First Form. Uh, one of my favorites was from Organifi, green juice or gold juice. Those are highly effective. Um, and AG1 athletic greens are fantastic too. But the biggest issue is they're very expensive, like the average tub upward of 70 to $80 sometimes. So you have to be very, very wary of the costs of these supplements and if they're actually worth it. Because at the end of the day, the absolute best way to go is by getting the whole food sources themselves. And so one of the best time to take these things are is usually taken in the morning with the mix of a lot of or all foods will help with the absorption but be wary of some downsides oftentimes that i encounter with some clients that i work with uh is that they they have a negative impact on their gi a little bit cause some distress like a little bloating might even cause diarrhea uh, if they're not careful so do be wary of the potential effects of green supplements um the next one i want to talk about that has received a ton of uh not experience <laughs> exposure in 
the literature and within the fitness industry and with magnesium. And so magnesium has gotten super, super popular with people because of the effects of relaxation that it has, because of how it's been promoted on multiple podcasts, in particular by Andrew Huberman. And when it comes to magnesium, magnesium is absolutely responsible in playing a role in things like muscle contraction, nerve function, energy production, and even DNA synthesis. It's involved in a large slew of uh, processes in the body that are super important for optimal body function. And most people are a little bit deficient in magnesium. But, you know, the biggest thing is you can get these some dark leafy cruciferous vegetables. If you're eating a whole foods diet and you're getting in a ton of whole foods, you might not need to supplement from magnesium. Um, but it, it is super important that if you are deficient, that you do take magnesium. Um, you just need to make sure that you're taking it in the right ways. You need to make sure that you are taking the right forms because if you're taking too much of magnesium citrate, for example, then this is the one that is utilized in, in, in diuretics. And so such as, you know, relaxes for GI, if you're someone who's constipated, uh, you know, utilizing stool softeners, those types of things are really, really high in magnesium citrate and they do make you go to the bathroom. So the, the higher ones that are uh, most effective with thing being things like magnesium 3 and 8 is the one that is able to cross the blood-brain barrier with little to no GI effects and can be very, very impactful uh, for leading to healthier sleep, healthier energy production, improved muscle contraction, and the reduction in muscle cramps, fatigue, and irregular heart rhythms. So magnesium is definitely important for most people. Um, but I would always start by trying to see if you're actually deficient in that particular micronutrient first rather than wasting your money because a supplementation tub of magnesium is just as much as a pre-workout or anything else. It's upwards of 30 to sometimes $50, so depending on where you're getting it from. Um, so, so be careful. For those who are absolutely deficient, definitely need it. For those you know for, who have enough and are reaching the RDA and recommend daily allowance, you might only need, you know, you might only use it for the relaxation sleep benefits overall. Um, but the most highly recommended is to take it either in the morning with food for optimal absorption or utilizing in the evening due to its overall relaxation effect. But as long as it is taken um, at a time uh, during the day that's best for you, where you're most hydrated and have adequate nutrition, that is going to be the best time to take it for you. And so those are the absolute most biggest supplements that are getting the most exposure right now in the fitness industry. We have other things such as fish oil, vitamin D, and BCAs that get a lot of attention too. There is a ton of things out there that could be beneficial for you. But here is the end-all, be-all summary of issue-all. Supplements are great, but yes, at the end of the day, they do not supplement a bad diet or a bad training program. To get the most out of your improvements to your lifestyle, you need to make sure that you have your health foundations in place. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you getting enough calories from good whole food nutrition? Are you managing your stress? Are you filling up your aspects of wellness when it comes to social, intellectual, and spiritual wellness in those areas? Those are the things that you need to worry about first because supplement is exactly that, a supplement. It will not change the fact that you are inconsistent with your programming, inconsistent with going to the gym, inconsistent with getting proper sleep, or inconsistent in managing your stress. You have to make sure that your life is together before any supplement will ever work. You cannot out supplement a bad routine when it comes to making progress in the gym. There's no ands, ifs, or buts about it. And as much as I support utilizing supplements to help people that have various issues and utilizing them as a great way to get started and maybe having the placebo effect of getting you into the door to start building better habits, which I think is fantastic you have to make sure that the foundational principles of health are in place. Because if they're not, 
then no supplement is ever going to have a positive impact on you and it's going to be a waste of money. So as always, you all, if you liked what you heard today, please be sure to share it with all your friends, share it out there on social media, share it out there and tag us and then send us an application completed form that we have down here on the bio and you could win a full month of free coaching from one of us coaches here at Evolve. As always, we are looking to create the absolute best coaches and athletes in the world and helping you become the most evolved version of ourselves. Become, uh, be sure to tune in next time for any all information on exercise, fitness, and wellness. Please, if you have any questions, please be sure to reach out to us on all of our social media platforms and be sure to listen to the outro. This has been Coach Pete, and I'll see you in the next one. Coach P's out. If you liked today's episode, please be sure to drop a like, share it with all your friends, and give us a great review on Apple Podcasts. If you want to work with the best in the business, please be sure to head over to all of our social media web pages at Evolve Health and Performance. Also, Evolve, we're trying to make you the best athlete of all time and realize your full potential. And stay tuned for all future episodes where we bring you the best guests and features for everything health, fitness, and wellness. For everything Evolve, stay tuned. Coach P's out.